0: You're listening to audio from the Archive of Highland Baptist Church. For more information about Highland, go to hbcwaco.org. The last few years, it seemed like there's been a ton of movies based on DC Comics or Marvel Comics. You probably have some of your favorite superheroes that have been on the big screen recently. Perhaps you remember growing up with cartoons or some of you may be old enough to even remember having comics, actual comics that you read, the DC Comics, the Marvel Comics. I'll probably uh, can start throwing out superhero names. I'm sure some of you have some that you like, some that you don't like so much. I'm not sure what that looks like for you. But Iron Man certainly has kind of been on the rise the last couple of years. Um, Batman and Robin, of course, has kind of some old favorites for a lot of folks. Um, Aquaman, I always thought it would be a pretty cool gig to be Aquaman. I always liked Aquaman growing up. Uh, Wonder Woman. Any ladies like Wonder Woman? Well, maybe any men like Wonder Woman? You probably grew up liking Wonder Woman as, as well, perhaps. Uh, I think the most useless superheroes were the Wonder Twins. Remember the Wonder Twins? They, all one of them could do is be like the shape of water. The other one, like the shape of animal. I've never really saw a whole lot of use for the Wonder Twins. But probably somewhere along the top of our, of our list of our favorite superheroes of all time, I mean, we have to say Superman, right? I mean, he's super- Man, He's Superman. He's, 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 he's the, the, the greatest of all time, I believe, when it comes to superheroes. When you look at Superman, you look at his life, and you realize that he was created by two 17-year-old boys in post-Depression Cleveland, uh, perhaps a lot of you know their names' Siegel and Schuler, a Schuler, and both these guys they just they were so creative in their imagination, so creative in their writing, so creative in their in their drawing of, of Superman that these two guys as seventeen year old boys had great inspiration. So remember two Jewish boys think about this with me: Superman, of course, is a guy from another land, another planet, if you will, a distant land who is sent to another land. And there he's adopted by a family. And there, somewhere along his lifeline, he realizes a special calling that he has on his life. And that is to deliver innocent people into freedom. Now, who does that sound like to you? No, not Jesus, because these are two Jewish boys, right? So two Jewish boys who... Yeah, Moses. There you go. Someone said Moses. Remember Moses from another, plant, another place, a distant land? Not another planet. A distant place, distant land... Uh, not put into a rocket, but put into a basket and sent down the Nile River where he's discovered uh, somewhere down the river. and a, a family adopts him, pulls him in somewhere along the lifeline of Moses. Moses realizes he has a special calling in his life, and that is to deliver innocent people into freedom. So these two Jewish boys, certainly Moses was, was the inspiration behind Superman. And what about the great strength of, of Superman, or that, the great strength of any superheroes, especially those who call upon a strength at a certain point in their life, uh, like Superman, or like, like the Incredible Hulk, or like Wolverine. That all comes from Samson in the Bible. I mean, really, every superhero probably finds its genesis, finds its origin back in the book of Judges, which is why I love studying the book of Judges. This morning, our conqueror, or our superhero, is a guy by the name of Othniel, If you're going to be charting with us throughout this semester and walking through the book of Judges, there's a statement that I want to make to you. It's a statement that I made last week. I want to make again this morning. It's simply this uh, that we'll either be conquered by life, friends, or we'll be conquerors in life through the power of God. Uh, That will be the testimony and the biography of every single person here. Either life is going to conquer you this year, or you'll be a conqueror in life through the power of God. This morning, I want to talk about Oath Nile. Before we can get to Oath Nile, we need to get a little background of what's happening in Israel. It might sound like a very familiar background of what's happening in our own lives as well. If you're taking notes this morning, we first of all see this, this spiral downward in Israel, a spiral downward in the culture and the people. The first thing that we see in that spiral downward is, is the people's rebellion. The people of God were beginning to push back against God. The people of God were beginning to disobey God in, in greater amounts and in greater intensity. They were rebelling against the law of God, against the presence of God, against the commands of God. And so in this spiral downward in Israel, the first thing that we see is the people's rebellion. With your Bible this morning, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Judges? Uh, Judges in the Old Testament, about seven books in. And go to Judges chapter 2 with me as we see this downward spiral. and The need for a judge to be called up by God to rescue his people. It's the rebellion of the people. Look at Judges chapter 2 with me, please, and and go to verse 11. Judges chapter 2 and go to verse 11. The Bible says, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. And they provoked the Lord to anger, because they forsook him and served Baal. Jump down to verse 17 of that same chapter, Judges two seventeen. They would not listen to their judges, but prostituted, that's a powerful word, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, which was the way of obedience to the Lord's command. That same chapter, jump down one more verse and go to Judges 2, verse 19. So when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and refused to give up their stubborn ways. Do you see what's happening here? They are pushing back against God. There is a sense of rebellion, even though their their parents, their forefathers, their fathers had walked, many of them in the way of the Lord, they are pushing back against the God of their fathers, pushing back against the God of their childhood, desiring to serve other gods. In fact, that harsh word is used, they even prostituted themselves to various gods, the peoples around them. So in that spiral downward, not only do you have the people's rebellion, you also have here God's response. And God's response, this may be surprising to some of you, God's response was to continue to press them down so that he might humble them, so he might break them, so that they might repent. In this spiral down where not only do you have the people's rebellion, you also have God's response. Look at Judges chapter two. Look at verse 12 with me. Judges chapter two, verse 12. Go to the very end of verse 12. They provoked the Lord to anger, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asheriths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them, plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them. Wow. The hand of the Lord was against his own people to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. And they, of course, were in great distress. Jump over to verse 20 of that same chapter, Judges 2.20. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers, not listen to me. And you see the rest of that in verse 21. I will no longer drive out before them any of those nations that Joshua left when he died. But it's verse 20, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. I'm reading out of the NIV, and it says very angry. If you have different translations this morning, if you have the ESV, it says that his anger was kindled. If you have the American Standard this morning, it says that the anger of the Lord burned against his people. If you have the King James Version, it says that the anger of the Lord was hot against his people. What that is in Hebrew is really the word for flashpoint. God's anger was so built up against his people. His anger was so kindled, it was so fired up that he had this moment of just a flashpoint against his, his people. Um, do you remember when your mom or dad had a point of just a flashpoint with you growing up? Like they had all they could take of your rebellion or your attitude or your actions or your late night or your breaking of curfew or your bad grades, whatever it might be. I mean, my mom is the sweetest, Kindest lady. In fact, she was in the first service this morning. She's so kind. She's so nice. Uh, Jennifer and I, my wife and I, often joke that the only way that we know she sins is because the Bible says that all have sinned. Like this lady, just is so kind, so sweet. She probably weighs 101 pounds, soaking wet. You know, she's she's a petite, sweet lady, always kind words, just very generous in her words. But I remember one time at Target here in Waco, growing up, that I slipped away from her and went and hid inside the circular clothes racks that they have there in in target so you're laughing because you've been there before haven't you it's like a whole new world you're away from everybody else it's a cool place to start popping off price tags or switching price tags you know they're in that little circular area and I remember doing I was little you know I was 17 or 18 years old I was little when I was doing that you know (laughs) crawling inside of the the little little clothes rack there and and my, my mom I'm sure she was calling up my name of course as a parent now I know just the frantic nature that whips up, whips up inside of a parent. You can't find your kid. You're in Target. You're trying to decide, do I call the manager? Do I call the police? Do I keep searching? I mean, there's a lot of tension built up in a parent when they can't find their child. I didn't know that. I was in a circular world, you know, of, of clothes all around me. And I don't know if my mom eventually called my name and I said, said something out loud or she finally opened up and parted the clothes and, and there I was. But my mom reached a flash point with me that day in Target. I mean, she was scared because she didn't know where I was. She was mad because she'd been calling out my name. I'm sure she had told me over and over again not to run away from her, not to leave the cart, not to, not to get lost, not to hide from her. And she yanked me out of that circular clothes rack, and she was, biblically speaking, very angry, right? <laughs> she had reached her flashpoint with her son, and I knew it. Like, I understood that my rebellion had brought about that response, Well, that's what's happening here in the book of Judges. God's people have rebelled over and over again. If God finally reaches this point where his anger is kindled, he reaches a flashpoint. The Bible, again, some translations, he became hot in his anger toward his people. And what we see happening here really is the beginning of a cycle that we will see over and over again in the book of Judges. Uh, You see this in your notes. You see that the people rebel, and so God sends a response. Uh, here this morning we see the people rebel and God's response is he was so angry that literally, did you see this? He sold his people to the enemies. He stopped defending his people when the battle would come to them. He turned them over to those who would plunder the people of God. And so we see that cycle beginning right here in the book of Genesis, beginning even this morning, that we would see the people would rebel, and then God would respond. But here's the rest of that circular pattern that we see in the book of of Judges this morning. We then see the people repent. They realize that they have wandered away from God. They realize that they have escaped the blessing of God. They have walked out from underneath the, the shadow of the umbrella of God, and they are now repentant in their hearts. They now want to come back to God. And so what does God do? You see this in your fill in the blank notes uh, this morning. God sends a rescuer. Now we see that cycle over and over again in the book of Judges. The people rebel, God responds. The people repent, God sends a rescuer. And if that sounds like old news, I don't know about you, but that's the biography of my life right there. That I walk away from the Lord and begin to chase after other loves. God says, I'm going to discipline those that I love. I repent. God says, I will rescue you, and I find myself at the top of that cycle again. Also, New Testament believer, that's the story of our salvation. That circular pattern is the story of the gospel. We were born with the spiritual DNA of Adam. We were born in rebellion against God. We were born the enemies. Of God. What is God's response to that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the response of God now. In the New Testament, we see that God comes to this place where he says, I'll send my son now. That will be my response. And what do we do to believe upon that son? We repent. We leave our life of sin, we leave the system of this world, we believe upon the name of Jesus Christ for salvation, and in doing so, God has sent his rescuer, the ultimate, final rescuer, Jesus Christ. And we will see that cycle throughout the book of Judges of the coming weeks as we see the people rebel, God respond, the people repent, God sends a judge or sends a rescuer. What is then the reason for this spiral downward? The reason I'm so excited about preaching the book of Judges is because I see Israel and our nation much in the same situation today. What is the reason for this spiral downward? You might be surprised by my two answers. That nation was going out of control because of parents and because of preachers. You look all throughout the Old Testament, especially the book of Judges, and you will see that this nation was spiraling out of control because of parents and because of preachers. I want you to see that biblically this morning as we give some context to this judge, this rescuer that God's about to call up by the name of Othniel. So with your Bible, look at Judges chapter 3 and look at verse 5 with me, please. Judges chapter 3, look at verse 5. So the Israelites lived among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters. The Israelites took the Canaanites' daughters in marriage. And then gave their own Israelite daughters to their sons, the sons of the Canaanites. And listen to this. And then Israel served their gods. If you're taking notes this morning, parents no longer taught their kids to obey God. Parents were saying, you want to marry in to that pagan family? Sure. We'll give our daughters to you. You can come and marry our sons. We will disobey what God has called us to do. In fact, we even go further than that. Not only will we trade out our kids with the, with the pagans, the Canaanites, we will begin to serve their gods as well. And the breakdown of Israel begins because the parents are no longer teaching their kids to obey and love and follow God. It was the breakdown of the family. I think I could probably say that with authority this morning. It's part of the decay in our nation, part of the decay in our world today, is that God's original design of the family is breaking down. Praise God, he sent Jesus Christ to restore the family. Praise God, he sent Jesus Christ to restore the hearts of dads toward their kids and the hearts of kids' children toward their dads. In fact, the very last prophecy mentioned in the Old Testament before Jesus was to come, the very last word in the From the prophet Malachi was simply this. You see this in your notes. The last prophecy of the coming Messiah is a restoration of the family. In more particular, men, listen, it's a restoration of dads. It's one of the reasons God sent his son, Jesus Christ. I know, certainly, it was for the redemption of the world, for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might believe upon Jesus who became sin on our behalf, but understand, Jesus also came to restore the family, particularly the relationship between a dad and his kids. Look on the screen as I read aloud to you Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, the last prophetical statement in the Old Testament. He, the Messiah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Wow. But what else? How about the preachers? Because some of you can't wait for me to throw them under the bus. right? Look at Judges chapter 18. Go a few pages to the right, about seven pages to the right. Look at Judges chapter 18. Look at verse 19 with me. Judges chapter 18, verse 19. Let me give you a little context here. The tribe of Dan, the Danites, they have come into a household. Uh, The house belonged to Micah, not Micah the prophet, a different man named Micah. Micah must have been very wealthy because he had hired for his own house a priest or a preacher. And so the tribe of Dan comes in, sends some spies into the house of Micah, And there they encountered the priest, and here's what's happening at the very end. This isn't on the screen, this part of it, the very end of of Judges chapter eighteen, look at verse eighteen. The priest said, What are you doing? Now, verse nineteen, the spies answered him, saying, Be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us and be our spiritual father, be our priest. Isn't it better that you serve a tribe and serve a whole clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? Then the priest was glad. Look what he gathers up. He took the ephod, that's about right for a Jewish priest, the other household gods, and the carved image, and went along with the people. So here's the man of God who was approached by a tribe of the people of God, the Danites, and said, hey, we need a priest. We need someone to be our spiritual father. And the priest is glad. He is happy to oblige. He says, sure, let me gather up all my idols first, and I'll bring them with me. They'd be like you coming to me and saying, hey, pastor, would you, would you pray with me? Would you come to my house and, and pray, pray for me today? And I would say, yes, let me grab my Bible and my crystals and my Muslim prayer mat and I'll go ahead and grab an Indian feather dream catcher as well. And my statue of Buddha so we can rub his big fat belly and have really nice thoughts, wishful thoughts of enlightenment as we pray together. That's exactly what's happening with this priest. He's saying, let me gather all of my idols with me. That was the spiritual state of Israel at the time. I wrote this in your notes. The preachers were just as messed up spiritually as the people were. They have always impacted. By the way, we have always impacted one another. Pastors and preachers and priests, they always impact the people, and the people always impact the priest and the preachers and the pastors as well. Therefore, let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another to be everything that God wants us to be. Again, interesting, the very last book of the Bible, God speaks to these priests. God speaks to these pastors. You'll see this on the screen behind me. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. God speaks to the priest, and he says, for the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth... Men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way by your teaching, and you, priest, you have caused many, many to stumble, and you have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. When spiritual leadership is weak, and when convicting teaching is no longer preached, the people stumble. Stumble. When the preachers of God's word no longer teach God's word, when they no longer go into some of the deeper, more convicting passages in God's word, God's word tells us we will stumble. So that's the background of what's happening here in in Israel. The people are out of control. The parents are out of control. The preachers are out of control. There's a spiral downward. It's a cycle, but it's also a spiral moving downward faster and faster toward the demise of Israel. So we get to the very end of Judges, and the very last prophet, the very last judge, comes on the scene. He's a prophet and a judge named Samuel. And Samuel, when he's about to die, he wants his two kids to be the next two judges of Israel. But the people said, no, we want a king. So God, not in his perfect will, but in his permissive will, allows Israel to elect a king, and the first king that they elect, he consults witches. The second king that they ask to, to serve them, he ends up being a murderer and an adulterer. The third king that serves over Israel, he begins to worship idols himself, and then the really bad kings come after that. And so for all these years, for about 20 kings, Israel is underneath these kings who are no longer leading them to God. So eventually the nation of Israel in 722 B.C., the top 10, uh, the the 10 uh, northern tribes of Israel, they are taken into captivity by the Assyrians, never to be heard from again. You know them as the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Then in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they take the two remaining tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, and take them into Babylonian captivity. And they are there for 70 years until finally a remnant of them are allowed to go back into Israel. They return to Jerusalem, and there they are. And for 400 years, God is silent. What's God going to do now? I mean, he's used creation, he has used the law, he has used priests, he has used judges, he has used prophets, he has used kings, and the people would not listen. They continued to rebel. What is God going to do? This time, he sends a baby and a cross and an empty tomb. And I've gotten way far ahead of myself. Let's go back to the book of Judges together this morning and look at Oath Nile this judge that God calls up, the conqueror. That's what we're wanting to do, friends. We want to be conquerors this year in the power of God. Let's look at the conqueror, Nile. Here's what I wrote in your notes for you. In the middle of spiritual confusion and cultural chaos, God is looking for someone to be used. That's what's happening here in the nation of Israel. It's probably what's happening here in our own nation today. All kinds of spiritual confusion, all kinds of cultural chaos, and God is looking for somebody. Have you noticed in the Bible, God rarely calls tribes he rarely calls clans he almost always calls individual people and here we see that God is looking for someone to be used look go back to Judges chapter 3 if you were over in Judges uh, 17 earlier go back to Judges chapter 3 with me and look at verse 7 Judges chapter 3 verse 7 here's what's happening in the land the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord this sounds familiar they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the bells and the Asherahs. And the anger, there it is again, the flashpoint of the Lord, burned. It was kindled. It was hot against Israel, so that he, God, sold them into the hands of Kushan who who is the king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. Here's what's happening. The Israelites are now thrown down into eight years of judgment. Kushan Rishathaim those last three letters there, A-I-M, A-I-M, really in Hebrew is not singular. It's also not plural, but it does, um, it speaks to a duality or to a, a multiplication. And so that word Kushan, kushan Rishathaim really is speaking of a wicked land. That's what that means in, in Hebrew. A wicked land ruled by a wicked king. But because it has that A-I-M at the end, A-I-M at the end, it means it's a wicked king times two. Or a wicked land times two. So put in your notes here, not only did God sell his people uh, into a land that was wicked under a king that was wicked, it was a doubly wicked land. It was a doubly wicked king, and God allowed his people uh, to be judged. If you're interested in this, that land is where present day Iraq is today, the Mesopotamia, in between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And God handed the people of God into eight years of judgment under a doubly wicked king in a doubly wicked land, but, and here's a great but right here, but a new beginning is coming to God's people. Continue on in Judges chapter 3, look at verse 9. But when they cried out, here's the repentance when they cried out to the lord god raised up for them a deliverer othniel son of canaz Caleb's younger brother who saved them this is the conqueror we look at this morning three things about the life of othniel that i want you and i to understand that you and i might be conquerors ourselves in the coming days in the coming seasons in all the days of our life, the first thing I want you to know is that Oath Nile had a very questionable background. Oath Nile had a questionable background. If you were here last week, you might remember this, but, but Caleb's um, nephew is Oath Nile. Caleb had a brother, Canaz, and Canaz had a son named Oath Nile, and so they are of the same lineage. Um, Oath Nile and Caleb are not only a father, a, a, a uncle, and nephew, you might remember, unfortunately, they've also become. It's father-in-law and son-in-law. So Othniel has married his cousin, which again I do not recommend whatsoever legally, but they have married cousins here in the Old Testament. And so not only do you have a nephew here, you also have a son-in-law, but understand this, Othniel is not a Jew. Othniel was a Kenizzite. And I shared that with you last week about Caleb a man that I always thought was a Jew because he was the leader of the Jewish nation, yet he was grafted into the Jewish nation. He was actually a Canaanite. He was from the lineage of Esau, not of Isaac. He was a part of God's unchosen people, and yet that's the very first judge that God calls up is a man who is not even a Jew, and isn't it fascinating, the second judge in the land of Israel is not a Jew also. Kenizzite. A man that others might say, he has a little questionable of a, of a background. But God loves to use people like that. You may be here today going, you know what? If I'd be honest, my background's a little questionable. Come from a home that's broken, come from a home that's not spiritual, made some mistakes in life. I look back, I had all these great addictions. Uh, I really don't know a whole lot about God, don't know a lot about the Bible. I'm just kind of here today. I have a very questionable background. Some of you might actually have to say that to 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 yourself this morning that your background may not be stellar there may be some chapters in your biography that you're not very proud of i got good news god loves to use people that have questionable backgrounds because oath now wasn't even a jew he was a canaanite he was of the pagans and yet god chose him even with his questionable background put this in your notes god loves to do things that you and i would never even consider i love that about god He loves to do things that would not even be on our radars at all. God loves to do things that you and I, in our wildest imagination, would never even consider. And that's what God is doing here in the life of Oath Nile. The second thing I wrote there for you is that God loves to call up people that you and I would never choose. God loves to call up people and use them for his kingdom and for his name's sake, people that you and I would never use. I would imagine there were some grumbling Israelites in that day that said, Othniel, that's going to be our leader? He's not even one of us. He's not even a Jew. He probably just got this job because his uncle was Caleb. Why are we going to follow this man? He has a questionable background. God loves to choose people that you and I would never even consider choosing. In great transparency, I'll tell you this morning, if I were God, I would have never chosen John Durham to be a preacher. If I were the God of heaven, I would have never chosen someone like me to be a pastor. I'm petty. I can be very judgmental. I have no mercy. When I say I have no mercy, when I take the spiritual gift inventory, mercy is like negative on my my chart. I have no mercy whatsoever. I can have very depraved thoughts in my mind. Our God would have never chosen me to be a pastor. Some of you are looking at me kind of shocked right now. Man, why is this guy even up here on the pulpit? I mean, he saved you too, didn't he? Right? You know, did he save you because you were so perfect and so lovely? I mean, we we're all broken people. We we're all people in, in, in desperate need, and God loves to call up people that you and I would never. Consider, you and I would never choose that person. God loves to use people of questionable background for his name's sake. Here's the second thing. Othniel also had a questionable age, if you will. He was of questionable age. I think you're in Judges chapter 3. Just go back one page. This is very interesting to me. Othniel was of questionable age. Go back to Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Judges 2:10. After that whole generation, this is the generation of Othniel. After they had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what God had done for Israel. In other words, Othniel is now the oldest man in the nation, just like Caleb was last week. All the other people have died. When it says his generation was gathered up to his fathers, that's the biblical Old Testament way of saying they're dead. They're all gone, all in the generation of Oth Nile. They're, they're dead, they're deceased, been gathered up to the fathers except for Oath Nile, which has to mean this guy was an old man, which means for the second week in a row, we see the leader of God's people as not being the young guy who is brave, being able to run into battle. We see the old man in the Bible is now being called up to serve the people of God as a judge, And I just want to say to our older men today, and I'll let you determine whether you're older or not. In a group full of college kids, you could be 21 and be an old man in here today, it looks like, looking around. That the kingdom of God still needs old men. The kingdom of God still needs you if you consider yourself an older man. We need you in the church, we need you in the kingdom. We need you as the tribe of Danite was looking for a spiritual father, for a spiritual priest, for someone that could serve as, a, as an example to them. We still need older men in this church. And if you're here today and you think, man, church has passed me by, the music has passed me by, the clothing style has passed me by, I walk in and everybody looks like they're 15 years or younger, I feel so old in this church, maybe I should stop going to church, maybe look somewhere else. Let me just say to you old men of Highland, we need you here. And you may begin to think, well, I've already served enough, I've already given enough, I've volunteered enough, I've taught enough already, I just want to get on a bus and go watch the leaves change color somewhere, or I just want to start collecting seashells, I'm so tired of service. I'm going to go do something else. Let me tell you something, old men, this church and the kingdom of God needs you. Of all the men that God could have chosen in the Old Testament to lead his people in Israel, he chooses the old man Caleb and the old man Othniel and says to them, you set a standard for the younger people. Let me say this to you again, if you consider yourself a young man or a young woman here today, do not discount the fact that God wants to use you just because you're young or just because you're young in your faith. In fact, Paul put it this way, don't let anybody look down on you because of your youthfulness. But be an example in your speech, in your purity, in your behavior, in your action, and in your righteousness. Let me just say this to everybody here today. Never give the excuse of age to an ageless God. Because he didn't accept that. When you tell God I'm too young or you tell God I'm too old, what you're really saying is, God, I don't trust that your power will be enough inside of me to be a servant in your kingdom. Never give the excuse of age to an ageless God. Third and last thing this morning. Look at Judges chapter 3. Look at verse 10. So go back. If you're at Judges two ten, go to three ten now. Judges chapter 3, verse 10. Here's the rest of the story. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, so that he became Israel's judge. And this old man, I put that parenthetical statement in there, this old man, he went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan rishathaim the king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. And so the land had peace for 40 more years. You thought he was old when he went into battle. 40 more years into Oath Nile, the son of Kenaz, died. My last statement this morning about a conqueror is simply this Othniel Nile had unquestionable courage and unquestionable commitment. Christian, that's the mark of a conqueror a man or a woman with courage and with commitment. What's courage, can I define it very quickly? Courage is I believe God. That's what courage is. It's not about you trying to be brave, it's you believing God. That's courage, commitment. I don't know if he was there that day, but his uncle Caleb was certainly there that day when another old man named Joshua about to die, stood before the people and said these words out of Joshua 24. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers that were served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people said back to Joshua, we will serve the Lord. He is our God, and we will obey him. That is the spirit of a conqueror. Would you bow your head and bow your heart with me, please, as we pray? And Father, it's good to be in your presence this morning. It's good to hear from your word again. It is fresh bread for hungry people today. Father, thank you for your word that instructs us Even in the Old Testament, we see pictures of Jesus Christ who is the ultimate and final rescuer of our hearts, the ultimate and final rescuer of all humanity and creation itself. God, give us the spirit of being conquerors in this place. Make us men and women of courage, men and women of commitment. Even if we have questionable backgrounds, things in our biography that we're not proud of, even if we might consider ourselves of questionable age, too young, too old, too mature in the faith or too immature in the faith, God, we're never beyond your calling. Thank you, God. You don't call tribes. You don't call churches. You call people. Individuals. To be raised up in a time of confusion and chaos, to be a spokesman for God, Father, we live in chaotic times. Spiritual confusion abounds. And God, even this morning, maybe calling some, some college students, some teenagers, some students, some single adults. Maybe you're calling some other old men, like you did in days past serve as examples to inspire the next generation to serve and to love and to obey God Father speak to us give us the grace to respond now in the name of Jesus our final rescuer we pray